Thanks, Adam. Morning, everyone. Would you uh, pray with me, please? Father, this morning, as we again turn to your word, we first of all want to thank you for it. We want to thank you, Lord, that it is your word to us. It is your revelation of yourself to us, showing us who you are, what you are like, your plan for the world, your plan for us, and indeed, Lord, your plan of glorious salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, as we uh, just meet together, as we hear from your word, as we, as we focus on this uh, aspect of our salvation, this uh, wonderful glorification that we will one day enjoy forever in heaven with Jesus, Lord, would you encourage us today through this? Lord, would you help us to see again the glory of your plan for us? And Lord, help us to rejoice in that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past five weeks, we've been uh, looking at a series of called Christianese. And uh, basically, we've seen it's the language of, of the Christian, basically. But it's also been really a series on Christian doctrine, of uh, the, the fundamental aspects of, of the faith, and particularly with relation to our salvation in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we come to the last in that series, and we're going to be focusing on the aspect of glorification. We've looked at, at five biblical terms that we use in the church uh, over this uh, past five weeks. Regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, and today glorification. glorification. And today what we're going to find is we see through these things, through, through these various aspects, they all combine to give us, if you like, a, a beginning-to-end picture of what our salvation or what our redemption is like in Jesus Christ. It starts with us being made new, and that is what we saw a few weeks ago in regeneration. And this is the spiritual rebirth that God brings about in us through, his, through the work of his Holy Spirit. It is a, a spiritual awakening, if you like, of our spirits to God and an awareness of who God is and of who we are in our sin and what God's purpose is in terms of, his, in terms of us and all of creation. John chapter 3 and verse 3, we read uh, the words of Jesus when he was speaking to Nicodemus, when he said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, that is of the Spirit of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying there, that there must be this spiritual awakening of our spirits by the Spirit of God in order to, uh, to be uh, able to come into God's family. We need to be regenerated in our spirits. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here we see that, that deadness, if you like, of who we were apart from God's spirit working within us and the fact that God, through that spirit, has made us alive to the things of God and to Christ Jesus through our salvation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. 
So for a person to be able to uh, call themselves a, ch- a child of God, to be able to w- be welcomed into his family and to be a part of his kingdom both now and forever in eternity, there first of all needs to be this, this process of regeneration that takes place in our lives, in our spirits. And that has got to be a work of God. We cannot do it ourselves. Just as a dead person cannot do anything for themselves, we cannot do anything for ourselves about our sin. It has got to be a work of the Spirit of God within us. Well, with this regeneration then comes a new standing before God. We are justified before him. In other words, we have Christ's righteousness imputed or credited to us. See, God no longer then holds us guilty of our sin and as a consequence punishable for it, but instead God declares us no longer guilty for that, that we are no longer objects of his wrath. Paul speaks about this in Romans 5 and verse 1 where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a reconciliation that takes place between us and God because of Christ's work on the cross. Because he has paid for our sin and taken away our debt before God, we can then have a right relationship with him. We can have peace with God. Again, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, we read these words. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Having been, having been given this peace uh, this, this reconciliation between us and God, we no longer have to fear God and fear his wrath for our sin because Jesus has taken it all upon himself. And we see that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 where Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, because of this, re- this justification, this right position that we've been given before God, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And that has got to be one of the most grandest promises that we could ever read in all of Scripture. That there is no condemnation before God for those who are in Christ. But those last words are the key. For those who are in Christ. It is only for those people that they can have that hope of no condemnation in Jesus. This new standing we have before God then leads to a new identity in Christ. We are adopted as his children, adopted into his family. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says this, The Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Spirit of God, we are able to cry, Abba, Father. We are able to come before God in the most intimate relationship possible and call him Papa. Now, that, was, that would have been um, an absolute revelation to the people of, of the first century, particularly the Jews who saw God as this, this person who was other than everything else and you could not have anything to do with God apart from through all of these sacrifices and that sort of thing. And even then, the people knew that that, uh, that, that was probably not even enough for, for them to be able to come before God. But yet Paul says here that by the, his spirit we can come to him and call him Papa, Father. Again, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has brought us into his family. Regenerated, justified, adopted. All speaking of our salvation, if you like, as a past event. We have been saved by God. We have been saved by him. And we see, as we've come through this series, we saw last week that God's purpose for us as his children is that we should be like his son Jesus. That we should be conformed to the family image, if you like. So he sets about transforming us from the inside out again by the, by, the, by the work of the Holy Spirit in a process known as sanctification, being made holy. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are to be conformed to the image of his son. This is this process that God is now working out in the lives of of the people who he has regenerated and justified and adopted. This is the process that God is working out in our lives right now through his Holy Spirit, making us more and more holy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. And First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 says that it is God's will that you shall be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Paul is saying there that, you know, this whole process of sanctification is that we would stand out, that we would be different from the world around about us. So that we would be in that a testimony to the power and the mercy and the grace of God in our lives. This, of course, speaks of salvation as a current event in that we are being saved. We have been saved. We are also being saved. That God is working out this, this process of sanctification in our lives. Now, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the apostle confidently states this. He says, And I am sure of this, I am certain of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you, who began that work of of salvation, that redemption within you through this regeneration, through this justification, through this adoption, and now through this work of sanctification, he will bring it to completion when? At the day of Christ Jesus. That day when Jesus shall return in all his glory. You see, God did not just go through this process of regenerating us, of justifying us, of adopting us and of sanctifying us only for him to ultimately deem us unworthy, to ultimately shut us out from his eternal kingdom. No, what God promises that he says he will do, he will indeed do just that, that he will accomplish what he began in us. 
And that, folks, needs to give us a great confidence and a great hope and a great assurance as, as well in our lives that God who began the work will complete the work. He will finish it. He will bring it to fullness. And that is what we're looking forward to and what we're going to be focusing on today. Because this work of salvation that he began in us will be, will be finally brought to completion when he glorifies us. When he glorifies those who belong to him. And here we see that our salvation being both a past event, a current event, is also a future event. In that we will be saved. God has saved us, God is saving us, and God will save us. Three aspects of our salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read this. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you, speaking of the believers in in Thessalonica, but also speaking of all believers, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here that God chose you as the first fruits to be saved and that we are part of that, that great harvest of souls that God has been working in the, the hearts and lives of uh, throughout the centuries, right from you know, right from the, the time that God first plan, you know created the, the, uh, the created all things. God's plan of salvation was in His mind right there and then. You were in His mind right there and then, and that through. This work of sanctification by the Spirit and your belief in the truth which God opened our eyes to, that is the way God is, is shaping us and transforming us. And of course, we um, came to know this through the message of the gospel. And folks, that is why the message of the gospel is so essential today. Why it is the, the only message of the church today is because it is the only message through which people can come to an understanding that they need to be saved and to know how to be saved by the power of God. It is the only message. And Paul says, Paul writes, he goes on and says, that having been called through this gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just ponder on those last few words for a minute, shall we? So that you... You may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God's plan for us as his children is that one day we ourselves will be partakers of the same kind of glory that belongs to Jesus Christ now and forever. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That we ourselves will be partakers of that same kind of glory? Not that we will be equal with Christ, because no one is equal with Christ. Christ is far above all. But we will be like Christ. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be like Jesus Christ in all of his splendor, in all of his glory. 
we will have the same kind of spiritual body that he has now. Folks, you see, for the follower of Jesus, our glorification is our spiritual destination. Our glorification is our spiritual destination. It is the final completion of what God began in us when he first brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, our justification, that is being made right with God, that made us positionally perfect. In other words, we were declared by God to be perfectly righteous through faith in Christ. Christ's righteousness, his, right, his, his righteous life, his righteous death, his resurrection, Christ's righteousness was imparted to us, was credited to our account. And when God looks at us, he looks at us through Jesus and he no longer sees our sin because our sins have been completely paid for and all he sees is the righteousness of Christ in us. We are declared by God to be perfectly righteous through faith in Christ. Our sins have all been paid for. God no longer holds us guilty. His righteous anger has been satisfied and his wrath has been turned away from us. But our glorification is when we become physically perfect. Right now we've just been declared perfect, but one day we will be perfect as Jesus Christ is perfect. It will complete the process. Right now we all struggle with temptation and with sin in our lives, even though we are God's children. I don't know about you, but that causes me a lot of angst. I struggle with that day by day by day, as we all do. We struggle with this temptation with sin and we, and we, we long for, well, I hope that you long for a, a, a release from that, that God would just do that, that, that work in our lives to finally release us from these temptations, these things that continue continually we allow to have a hold over us. And drag us down and, and cause us, you know, to, uh, to be ashamed and to be, to feel guilty even though we, we, we don't need to because God has declared us not guilty. But the old enemy wants to continue to whisper in our ears and, and, uh, and, and, and discourage us and disillusion us in our lives as Christians to, to say, you're never good enough. You just don't measure up. God has just wiped you. He's forgotten about you. But that's just a lie. And as Christians, that's when we need to turn around and say to the enemy, get lost, because therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I am adopted into the, into the family of God, that I can come before him and call him Papa. And to know that he loves me, and that his grace is sufficient in order to forgive all of my sins, to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness, as I confess those things before him. One day, we will be released. Even now, we, ex- we experience not just the, the struggles with temptation and sin, but we also experience the physical effects of sin and the curse that we read about in Genesis 3, where our bodies themselves are corrupted, where they are decaying, where they're susceptible to, to ill health and disease and, and illness and things like that. Our bodies are wearing out. We all know that. You only needed to be here at the, uh, at the uh, clean-up day a couple of weeks ago to see at the end of the day the bodies who were sort of really feeling it after that. We know, we, we, we know within ourselves that our bodies are decaying. 
that they are wearing out and that one day we will eventually die. And let's face it, who wouldn't want a new body? Anyone not want a new body, by the way? Who doesn't long for the day when we no longer have to struggle with the effects of sin in our lives, with the effects of the curse, to be finally freed of of this body of death, as Paul calls it in Romans 7.24? Well, for the believer, one day we will be set free. And this, folks, is our glorious hope, the glorious hope for all who are in Jesus Christ. And our guarantee of this resurrection of Jesus, sorry, our guarantee of this is the resurrection of Jesus himself. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 and 20, uh, 20 to 22. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, in other words, who have died. For as by a man came death, that he's speaking about Adam, okay, and through the sin of Adam that, that we all come under the curse of death. For as by one man, I've lost my spot here, for as by a man came death, by a man also has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is saying here that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. That is the, that is the, the, the sign, sealed, delivered thing on, on, our, on our resurrection, that because of Christ, Christ was res- resurrected from the dead, we too shall be resurrected in him. Now, Paul goes on, well, of course, the, uh, the, the natural sort of uh, question from the, uh, the people who Paul is addressing this to is then they go on to say, well, how is this going to happen, Paul? How is our resurrection actually going to happen? And, of course, this is answered in verses 20, 23 of chapter 15, but also in, in verses 50 and 52. Let's just read those verses just quickly. Verse 23, it says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Okay, then at his coming. If you flip over to, to verse 50 and 50 to 52, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, these mortal bodies cannot enter into heaven. Therefore, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable what Paul is saying here is that, you know, when, when Christ comes at his second coming, then at that particular point in time, that's when we will finally experience this glorification in Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 uh, speaks a bit more about this as well, where it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, but those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who are believers in the Lord Jesus who have already died, Jesus, when he comes again in all his glory, is going to bring those people with him. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. What we have here is a picture of Christ coming in all his majesty and all his glory to reveal himself to all of creation, to all of the world. And at that particular point in time, all those who have already died, all those believers who have already died and gone to heaven, they will come with Christ at that particular point in time. And any who are left here on the earth, those believers who are still alive, will be called up together with them in the air to, to, to be with Christ there. And at that particular point in time, Paul says there will be a great great change that will take place in the twinkling of an eye, we will receive our glorified bodies in Jesus Christ. Wow! Isn't that something to get excited about? You don't look excited. (laughs) Folks, that is our hope. That when Jesus comes, that is our future. That we will finally be complete. We will be what God originally intended for us to be. Now, can I say, just in, in, uh, in passing in this, that it won't just be all believers who are raised from the dead. But in fact, the Bible tells us that there will also be a general resurrection of everyone who has died. Jesus speaks about this in John's Gospel. Let me just read to you quickly a couple of verses from John chapter 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is speaking here about this spiritual rebirth. Okay, people who, who respond to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, that, 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 that inner work of regeneration, okay? For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. This spiritual life, John says, only comes from Jesus, from nowhere else. And he has given him, that is Jesus, authority then to execute judgment because he is indeed the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, in other words, who have responded to God's salvation, his free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, they will rise to the resurrection of life. They will receive their glorified bodies and live forever in glory with Jesus. But those who have done evil, who have rejected the Son of God, will go to a resurrection of judgment. Pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. You can't get any clearer than that. Not only we, will we be made new, but the creation will also be made new as well. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. If you look at uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul has a great big uh, section there where he speaks about the fact that when, when the fall happened, when man disobeyed God and sinned against God, not only did it affect man, but it affected the whole creation. And that the creation itself was subject to the curse. And, and throughout history then the creation itself has been groaning. 
has been waiting for the appearing of the Son of God and for this glorification process to take place. And we see the culmination of, of, uh, of this, this new heaven and new, this new earth in Revelation chapter 21, where the Apostle John, with this wonderful vision that he's given by the Lord, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There will no longer be any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have all passed away. I don't know about you, if you like to read novels, I, uh, I read them from time to time. I don't like to go to the end of the story and find out the ending. I like to sort of read through and come... Anyone here like to read the ending first? Yeah, there's a few people. That's okay, that's good. Here in the Bible, we're told the ending of the story. We are told the ending. We are told what God's whole plan of, is, of creation is working towards. And what we as his people will one day experience, what God is, is, is bringing us towards even now. This new heaven and this new earth where there will be no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more tears, no more struggling with sin anymore. But indeed, we will be glorified, we will be like Jesus Christ and live forever and ever with him in glory. What will our new bodies be like? That's the question that gets asked in, uh, in this passage. The people say, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body would, you know, do they come? His response is found in verses 36 to 49. The Apostle Paul simply says that, that he makes clear that our new body will be specifically suited to its environment, heaven. Just as the created things are made suited to their environments, and he goes on and he speaks about the flesh, the animals, the birds, the fish, the heavenly bodies and so forth, just as they are suited to their own environments, we will be made suited to, to the environment of heaven. There will be a significant difference between our earthly bodies and our spiritual bodies. Paul goes on to say that what is sown perishable will be made imperishable. What is sown in dishonour will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. What is sown a natural body will be raised a spiritual body. We will be people made especially for heaven itself. But although there will be a significant difference, there will also be a continuity between our earthly bodies and our glorified spiritual bodies. In other words, there will be some recognition of identity between the two. Take the example of Jesus, who when he rose from the dead with his new spiritual body, that there was, that, uh, there was certainly some recognition of the disciples, that they were able to recognise who he was, but there was also some uh, times there where they weren't able to recognise Jesus. So there will be some continuity there, but there will be a difference as well, and that will be like our bodies too. 
And what does this tell us about our present bodies then? Well, in Psalm 139, verse 14, we are told that we all are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has made each and every one of us, that he has created us to be who we are. And I know that some of us, we complain about our bodies. We complain, you know, about our looks and about our shape and about this and about that. But you know what? That's how God made you. That is who you are. That is the, 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 the tent, if you like, that God has given you to live in in this world. But he's not going to completely do away with it. The fact that God is our designer and maker gives us dignity, it gives us worth, it gives us value, it gives us significance, even despite our apparent flaws. But God isn't going to scrap us in order to start again. No, instead, God is going to perfect us. He is going to perfect us in our bodies. And as believers in Jesus, we will spend eternity in bodies wonderfully formed to recapture the perfection of God's image that was once so disastrously damaged by the fall. Well, in one sense, our glorification has already begun, for we are now beginning to, to reflect God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How are we being glorified? It is through this, this process of sanctification. That's how God is glorifying us, from one degree to another. But do you know that God often uses those times of struggle and of suffering in our lives to display his glory in us even greater? Jesus, just before he's about to go to the cross, he says to the Father, he says, Father, you know, he talks about his time is near and he says, Father, glorify yourself in me right now through this whole process, through this process of, of crucifixion. Glorify yourself through me. And God often glorifies himself through us at times of the most deepest and hardest difficulties and struggles. So don't, don't try to, 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 to put aside those things. Don't try to escape from them too quickly, but allow God to work out his glory in you through that. So in one sense, our glorification has already begun. In another sense, we have already been glorified. Get, uh, I think we might have run out of battery. Oh, no. I think we might have run out of battery in this here. Uh, Matt, can you just bring up the next slide? Sorry, mate. Let me read it to you. It's uh, speaking from uh, Romans chapter eight and verse thirty, where Paul says, "And those whom he predestined, he also called; and those whom he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified." Paul is here speaking in past tense. He's saying, you have been glorified. In other words, he's saying that I am so confident that God is going to work out this process in you that I can already confidently say that it has taken place already. It has already happened. Because what God determines and promises to do, he will indeed do. Folks, our glorification will one day guarantee that we will be morally and spiritually perfect like Christ. Isn't that a wonderful day to look forward to? Folks, this was the hope that continually encouraged Paul and the other believers in the New Testament church to keep persevering in the faith. 
We read verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, stand strong, remain secure, he says. Remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. All of the things that, is, that you are doing for God in this life, all of the work that God is doing in you in this life is not in vain, but it is all leading to that wonderful and glorious hope when we will be glorified in his presence. It is the hope that has inspired many believers through the centuries to keep on enduring. And folks, we as as believers today, we need to be reminded of this. It was interesting as I was preparing this message this week, the lack of material that is around speaking of glorification, speaking of this final aspect of our salvation in Jesus. And it's a shame. Because, folks, if we fix our eyes on this and our hope in Jesus Christ, it gives us that, that confidence and that assurance and that, that, uh, that strength, if you like, to, to endure, to keep on going in this life, despite opposition, despite hardship, difficulty, whatever. We keep looking forward to that day because this life is only a moment. It is only a vapour. But this is for eternity, forever and ever and ever. Is this your hope this morning? It needs to be. We need to be reminded regularly of what our future holds in Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle Paul John writes at the end of Revelation, he says, Behold, he is coming soon. He is coming soon. Blessed is the one whose hope is in Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of encouragement this morning. Speaking of uh, that wonderful hope that is ours in Jesus, that, uh, that although there is a work that is going on right here in our lives now by your spirit, that, uh, that one day that that work will be complete, that we will be brought into your very presence in those wonderful and new glorified bodies. We, we will be like Jesus, that we will no longer have to struggle with all of the things of this world, with all of the, the, uh, the pains and the, 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 uh, the difficulties of this, of this earthly life, that we will be freed from it and, 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 and made to, uh, to be fit for heaven and for living forever and ever in your presence and in your glory. Father, we thank you for that hope. May, it continually be, you, may you continually hold it before us in our minds and in our hearts that we might be encouraged by it and might encourage each other by it as well. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.